This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Appreciate you starting your weekend with us here on a Friday Drive where it feels like there could be some news coming sometime soon on the ongoing Deshaun Watson saga. According to several different reports, Watson's legal team has met with the representation of his 22 accusers, and many in the legal world believe we could be headed towards a settlement here. And as that news dropped, predictably, teams surfaced as potential suitors for Deshaun. Fan-sided's Matt Lombardo said league sources have told him Washington, Vegas, and Miami all have interests. Last week, Peter King called Philadelphia and, yes, the Carolina Panthers co-favorites when the Deshaun sweepstakes open up. Personally, from the Panthers' side of things, I can't really see it. Now, if Deshaun does settle, I'd be willing to bet he does play football this fall, but there's no way I can see him not being hit with a multi-game suspension first. That's reason number one among the many reasons why I can't imagine Carolina expressing interest in Deshaun. They're trying to win this year. I also believe character matters more when you're talking about the franchise quarterback. Now, it isn't to say character doesn't matter elsewhere. You want players who love football. You want people who work hard and care about their job and have high integrity and all of that. I feel like there's less leeway with the quarterback position than you usually see with skill position guys, wide receivers, running backs, defensive backs, you name it. And I think that has to do with those positions pay being paid less attention generally. There's less financial commitment in those positions. Quarterbacks, I think most of them are charged with acting like politicians do. That's why I think most of them are pretty bland and boring with the answers they give to the media. What interesting things does Tom Brady say generally? Or Drew Brees before he became a commentator now with NBC Sports? Or Russell Wilson? I don't think he's uttered an interesting syllable in his entire life. That's by design. These guys are the most important figures in these multi-billion dollar businesses. They don't want to step out of the line. There's no value to being interesting when talking to the media. So pull out the old Crash Davis, Bull Durham cliches and move things along. Character matters more for franchise quarterbacks. Forcing a trade is a massive red flag for me. When Deshaun did that, I started thinking, has any other quarterback of his stature ever tried to do such a thing? There was Carson Palmer having issues in Cincinnati before he forced a trade to the Raiders. But Carson at that point didn't have, his name didn't carry the same cachet as first-round pick, Heisman finalist, national champion Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson in his prime. And the ultimate team sport saying, yeah, I'm going to pull a James Harden here. I'm going to pull an Anthony Davis. I want out. I want to be traded. Houston, I'm not going to play for you anymore. That's a red flag for me. 
a quarterback that's willing to bail on your organization just because things aren't going his way. Now, that might fly in the NBA when there are only five guys on the floor and one player can make such a singular difference. But in the NFL, when there are 52 other guys in that locker room, that doesn't really play well. It doesn't sound too great when it comes from Aaron Rodgers, but there's more understanding for a three-time MVP and Super Bowl champ Rodgers, who's 37 years old and in the twilight of his career, perhaps, than a 25-year-old Watson who just got the richest contract. Oh, wait, second richest contract to what Mahomes signed in NFL history and hasn't won the MVP, has won one playoff game in his career thus far. Eh, There are some who are rubbed the wrong way by it. I know this. And it goes further than that. His off-field decision-making is a concern. If he does settle with these 22 women... Who's to say sometime soon a 23rd and a 24th and a 25th aren't going to pop up? Is that something you want to risk giving numerous draft picks, players a massive haul to try and bring this quarterback in and to be the face of your organization, to be the face of your franchise? Is that something you're going to be willing to do? I don't think Carolina's going to do that. Plus, there are the long-term injury concerns. He's already had two major knee surgeries. Plus, the Panthers seem fully committed to Sam Darnold. Before you laugh me off the radio right now for saying that, I've always been taught this, and I know you've probably been taught it too. Don't follow the words, follow the actions. The actions mean more than words. The Carolina Panthers are telling us pretty clearly that Darnold is their guy. They traded away Teddy Bridgewater before the draft. When the Rodgers rumors started, there weren't anybody. There wasn't no Rappaport, no Jonathan Jones, no Will Brinson, no Schefter. None of them were linking Carolina to Green Bay because nobody from Carolina was saying Carolina had interest the way that they did when Deshaun initially said he wanted out of Houston. It's been pretty clear Carolina's interest. They wanted to upgrade from Teddy. They were interested in Deshaun. They were interested in Matthew Stafford. They offered a first-round pick, their number eight pick. They offered more draft capital. They offered Teddy Bridgewater the best deal that anyone sent to Detroit, but Detroit wanted the do-right by their quarterback, and they sent him to the place he preferred, the L.A. Rams. So they, they've been aggressive in the quarterback market until they brought in Darnold. They had an opportunity to draft either Justin Fields or Mac Jones. They didn't either. They took J.C. Horn at number eight. They gave Sam Darnold the fifth-year option. The actions tell us pretty clearly. Matt Rule believes he solved the quarterback position with Darnold, and it will remain to be seen if he's right. But those actions tell me I can't see Carolina expressing interest in Deshaun at this point. But the biggest reason why I could never see at this point Carolina deciding to go after Deshaun, to be aggressive, for David Tepper to be this godfather s do whatever it takes, this high roller to make a splashy move such as bringing in Deshaun, is the organization's past. In 2014, we learned about the Greg Hardy allegations. 
the Panthers DN, who had the futon with a bunch of assault weapons on it, these heinous allegations with pictures equipped with it of Greg Hardy putting his hands on a woman around her neck. She was fearful of her life for her life and said that Hardy threatened to kill her by throwing her on this futon full of assault weapons. It got investigated. Hardy got charged. When the hearing came around, when trial came around, the woman didn't show up. And many people believe it's because Greg Hardy and his representation paid off this woman not to show up so the case be dropped. The Carolina Panthers drew a line in the sand then and said, we can't welcome this into our organization. The owner said, no, we're not going to continue and have Greg Hardy here. That owner was Jerry Richardson. The same man years later who was exposed for Blue Jean Friday and exposed for sexual harassment and sexual misconduct to the point where the day that report dropped on that Sunday before they were playing the Green Bay Packers, Jerry Richardson announced he would be selling the team. And he sold it to David Tepper, who on his Initial press conference. His first press conference at Bank of America Stadium. He strolls out. He takes off his blazer. He has three buttons down on his buttoned-up shirt. There's gray hair sticking out of his chest. It is what we've come to know to be quintessential David Tepper. One of the first things he wanted to point out, this is going to be an organization of zero tolerance when it comes to sexual harassment and sexual misconduct. This is going to be an organization that bans... NDAs, settlements, anything of that sort. That was the first thing. That was the bedrock of what this organization was going to be about and this being a new era for Panthers football, which tells me there is no way you could say all those things, regardless of what happens legally here with Watson over the next few weeks and months, express interest in him and bring in Deshaun while saying all of those things. There's just... Way too much smoke for there not to be at least some fire, and that's a fire I can't see Carolina wanting to bring into their building. Let me shift things to something else. Your thoughts are welcome on social media at WSJS Sports, 336-777-1600. There's a take I've had bottled up, I've kept bottled up for months now, that I don't think can wait any longer. Stop saying the political opinions of athletes are tanking ratings of sports leagues. This happened with the NFL three or four years ago. And most recently has happened with the NBA. Anybody who knows me or has listened to this show for an extended period of time knows I'm not very political. I'm not a political guy. I view politics like international soccer. Every four years, I'll get into it and follow it closely. But outside of that, I'm just not that interested in it. Here's why the politics are killing the NBA take, proves to be nonsense. Yesterday, we learned what the Warriors-Lakers play-in tournament game drew. It's the highest-rated NBA game on ESPN since the 2019 Western Conference Finals. It's an experiment. It's a play-in tournament, right? It's something new. That's why it's surprising that's the case versus... Something we come to know, like the Western Conference Finals. You know exactly what the stakes are. What makes it even more incredible is that the game tipped off at 10.05 Eastern Time. 
and it still drew that massive number. Now, did players suddenly stop engaging in social issues to those who objected to it? Of course not. Listen to what Kyrie had to say earlier this week on Israel. LeBron James, the entire incident with the police officer in Columbus from social media. No, nothing's really changed except that the games mean more. The urgency has changed. Oh, Josh, but the ratings were down in the bubble last year. I'm glad that's brought up. Here's the truth by what, when it comes to why the ratings dipped last year. This is the truth. Like, no agendas here. It's pretty easy to spot where agendas are at. The reason the ratings dropped in 2020 for, for the NBA playoffs was because of the anomaly that was 2020. When the pandemic happens, a pandemic unlike anything we've seen in our lifetimes, do you know what's going to go up? News channel ratings. Which means all other entertainment channels were going to suffer some dips in their viewership. With the exception being the NFL, which is an exception to this rule. It was an election year. Remember when everyone said Colin Kaepernick taking a knee? It was go It's tanking the NFL's ratings. Look at the ratings. They're going down for the NFL. And then the next year they shot back up. A lot of that had to do... Well, football season started right around when the election was about to happen. So the ratings went down for football and pretty much all other entertainment. It's right around the time cord cutting became a very popular thing as well. And then it shot back up. Last year was an election year. The NBA playoffs were going on right as these debates were happening. That affected it as well. And probably the biggest thing when it came to a ratings hit, the inverted schedule, the inverted calendar. The NBA is used to having its finals in June and July with no competition other than baseball. This past year, the NBA had to run up against college football in the NFL. There's no chance the NBA is going to run up against those teams and have success. No other sport can run up against those sports and have success in the ratings game. Nobody. Like, to give you perspective how much people love football more than basketball in this country... Like, we love Duke Carolina around here. That's the biggest game in college basketball each year around here. I was told recently by a football coach that the lowest-rated bowl game on ESPN drew higher ratings than any Duke Carolina game in the last decade. It's pretty amazing, but it tells you college football and NFL, football is king in this country. So the fact that the NBA was running against that, that's the reason why this happened. When it comes down to it, most people I know are not fragile political zealots. Most of them probably don't follow politics that closely. I don't think most Americans are basing their entertainment choices on politics. And it cuts both ways. If you think, oh, Josh, you're telling on yourself, you don't know who I vote for, and it doesn't matter who I voted for. If Major League Baseball decided to stick their heels in the ground and not move the All-Star game from Atlanta to Colorado... By the way, that's something I think Major League Baseball should have done. People, most of the people, I'd say 95% of the people that would have been going to the All-Star game or watching that All-Star game would still be doing that. So on one side, I think it applies. And on the other side, it applies too. That just because athletes are expressing political opinions you might disagree with, I don't think people are deciding whether or not they're going to watch LeBron James face Steph Curry based on what they said this week politically. I just don't know about that. Political opinions did not tank the NBA's ratings.
Everybody, listen up. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. I can't believe this. This is insane. Before we get to the movie game with Darren, let's talk a little bit of baseball. I'm interested in what's been the most frustrating thing about the way the two biggest stories in baseball have been covered this week, where two no-hitters happened on back-to-back nights. They're one away from tying the season record for no-hitters in a single season with seven. Right now they have six. Immediately, the backlash was, it's too many no-hitters. It's going to ruin history and all the stats and numbers and la, 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 la. All the baseball purists got mad about that. And then you had the discussion that was predictable we would have at some point this year. Tony La Russa didn't like that Yerman Mercedes swung at a 3-0 pitch in a 10-run game. I can understand him being upset about it. What I don't understand is why this had to be aired out in such a public way by La Russa. And then the next night, he's not taking up for their for his player when he gets thrown at by a breaking ball by a Twins pitcher. I'm not talking about the actual baseball things that happened themselves, Darren, but the way that this has been covered and talked about. What's been the most frustrating thing you've heard as a fan of baseball? Oh, well, I think you said it with the no-hitters and, and the home run, frankly, Josh, because like it's wild to me that these could be considered bad things. The pitcher did literally everything he could have done right right two nights in a row. That's that's a marvel. That is something that should always be celebrated. As a hitter is the best possible thing you can do. Why why are we calling these things into question? It's just it's the continuation of the mind-boggling thing that is in baseball or, or Major League Baseball, for whatever reason, the old heads just, they, if you're too good, they're not happy. Like, we are experiencing in Major League Baseball right now, and this is sort of, I know, against what your question was in, in getting into the nitty-gritty baseball. No, I'm interested in it. So we're experiencing this thing where we hitters have never been better. Like, it's the, it's the reason that they are trying to hit it as hard as they possibly can because a hitter hitting the ball as hard as they possibly can right now projects the best outcomes as, as in the history of baseball, right? Pitchers have also never been better, and they one lends itself to the other because, you know, with spin rate and you know, pitches just being unhittable at a, a much more greater freak, a much greater frequency now than ever in the game's history – it's it's more worth it for a hitter to go for broke and go all or nothing in an at-bat. Like, one lends itself to the other. But, again, on the surface, hitting has never been better. Pitching has never been better. But all anyone wants to do is is cry about it. It's, it's mind-numbing. The no-hitters piece doesn't strike me this time, though, as being baseball purists not liking the way the game's been played. It actually reminds me of in a way the LeBron Jordan debate in basketball where it seems like people are protective so much of their air quote era and I guess in baseball this could just be history where it doesn't is there any record that could be broken that matters to baseball fans where they would be happy about that record being broken the way that they were 20 plus years ago when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were going head to head let's say 
Yeah, and, and even in the aftermath, you know, old, old heads are pissed about that because, because Hank Aaron is their true home run king, right? No one could embrace Bonds, especially after 98. Um, there's probably not, Josh, and it's, it's, I mean, it's frustrating. It's sad because, again, we've got guys striking batters out at rates that are unheard of. Um, and, again, we, we're not there yet with the no-hitters, right? This could just be all – it could all just be a freak thing, and we end up with eight just the same way we did in – what was it the last time? 2017 that we had eight – or 2015. 2015 we had eight no-hitters, right? Like This could all just be freak instances, and we only get one or two for the remainder of the year, and it's kind of normal. But people are losing their heads just because, again, we get them on consecutive nights. I get it. But, um, yeah, I, I, I get frustrated. Is this where – is someone going to break a strikeout record and then it's going to be like, well, he's not my strikeout king? Like, is that going to happen? Like, who would they say? Like, who has the strikeouts record in Major League Baseball right now? I don't even know. Well, that's the only – that's the other thing, too, is with pitching records. You Cy know, like Young, Cy you're Young, never going to touch it. Cy Young's got 800 wins, 800 losses, and a bajillion strikeouts because he pitched forever. Yeah, it's right? live ball era stuff, though. Yeah, yeah. So like live ball era. I mean, what are they going to say? Uh, Randy Johnson is is uh, yeah. My strikeout Randy, Randy king. Johnson's Probably. my strikeout king. But Nolan Ryan is the more realistic uh-huh. comp there. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Nolan Ryan is my strikeout king. You get out of here. <laughs> Whoever you want to insert in there. Before we get to the movie game, what's the uh, what's happening with USA Baseball on Sunday? What announcement do you have here? Yeah. So on Sunday. Team USA is going to announce its official roster for Olympic trials. Now, remember, there's a lot, a lot of layers here. Uh, Team USA still has to qualify for the Olympics, which got pushed from 2020 to 2021. So we in the States are hosting what's called the America's Qualifier at the end of this month that is going to be in Florida. And if Team USA wins that, they automatically qualify for the Tokyo Games. It's a pretty big deal for them. Sunday this weekend, the uh, Team USA roster is going to be announced for that. And now, granted, keep in mind, this is, this is if, it's, if it's a player on an, a major league team's 40-man roster, he is not eligible. So this is, you'll, you'll actually see a lot of like recently retired guys on this, on this team, um, some sort of up-and-down tweener, triple-A guys who are, who are veterans in the game, but some recognizable names for sure. On Twitter at Darren Vaught, voice of USA Baseball, voice of the High Point Panthers as well. Guy who does a little bit of everything, including playing the movie game with us every once in a while, which we do right now. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. It's time for some kind of movie game. All right, all right, all right. With Josh Graham and Darren Vaught. Show me the money. All right, for the movie game this week, since you guys had that little spat about weddings, I decided we would go with a wedding theme. But I didn't want to throw in, like, Wedding Crashers or The Wedding Singer or Shrek. So the fun ones? Yeah, the good ones? What are we doing here? Yeah, so these are all just terrible, absolutely boring movies that I hope you guys have no clue. And and somehow I hope you guys tie now and both lose. I don't know how that happens, but we'll figure out a way. (laughs) Uh And we're going to start off with one of my favorites uh, that involves a wedding is I Love You, Man. Oh, wow. Oh, a good movie. Oh, it's not just the three movies you said. I was surprised. You're both docked 14 (laughs) points to start off, by the way. I was, 
I was surprised that you chose this movie because, you know, it's it's a movie that I think a lot of people have watched, but nobody brings up when they talk about good comedies in the last 10 years. It's a good one. And so, like, anytime we're like, ah, oh, where are all the good comedies at? I, we're just still talking about Step Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Slapping the bass. Uh, do either of you have an answer? I do have an answer written down. I've got one. Uh, I've got one written down. I was still. I, I was taken aback. I was expecting you to pepper us with like the wedding planner, my best friend's wedding. So this one, this one caught me off guard. But yes, I have a. I have I'm, a score. I'm going with a very scientific score of sixty nine percent. Darren, scientific. what you got? I'm not far off. Seventy two. Seventy two. I love you, man. Comes in at eighty three. Wow. Okay. Good for it. Good deal there. That's how I feel. I'm a Rashida Jones stan, so I'm about it. Well, she is not in this next movie, but one of my favorites is. And Adam Sandler, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. <laughs> oh, man. Jessica Beale in this movie. It actually had a positive box office, too, which really, really surprised me. $85 million in a budget. And I was think it Dan Patrick in this movie? Dan Patrick was in the. If there's yeah, an Adam Sandler... They're like butts, right? Like, I mean, he's Adam Sandler got that Netflix deal to where he can just like hang out with his friends and play dress up all the time. Like Dan Patrick's been in his last like five or six movies. Yeah. All right, I got a score written down here. What do you? Who's going first? Uh, either way, however you guys want to. I'll it. go sixty percent. Would you go, Darren? I went super scientific here as well. Sixty-nine. Nice. 69. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry comes in at 15%. Oh, my God. (laughs) We got a real stinker here. A real stinker. Robert's really offended by this, that score. Well, it's not a great movie, but it's a a wedding movie that you guys wouldn't think of off the top of your head, so I was trying to mix it up a little bit. But after Can we talk about, can we quickly, before we move on, talk about Rob Schneider in that movie and the fact that that dude never plays to his actual race I'm or or ethnicity in film <laughs> ever I'm telling you 50 51st dates that water one. boy yeah. european gigolo he's always doing something else yeah um, cuz this one he's the he's the asian uh efficient and he's always like a circle <laughs> a big dad looks he's like really a... <laughs> quite offensive i like rob but holy cow i mean look even friend check of him the out show? big daddy like rob schneider friend of the show yeah the old David Glenn yeah. show? Yeah, I mean, a frequent, or some somewhat frequent David Glenn show guest back in the day. I mean, yeah, no, I like Rob, but man. He was more frequent than I was. After two movies, uh, your scores are a little inflated, but you're not far off from each other. Josh is in first with 59, and Darren, you are trailing by six points at 65, going into the third movie. Wow, highest scoring movie game ever. This is like baseball's no-hitters, like just way too many points. And I, I saved one of my favorites, uh, an elaborate, extravagant wedding scene in Crazy Rich Asians. I've never seen Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> Crazy Rich Asians. I haven't seen it. I know it was well-reviewed. Okay. Well-received, too. They well really received. dug it. I, I look forward to watching this movie. Darren, do you have a score written down? I do. I said 80. I got 97 written down. Ooh, ooh. I'm swinging for the fences, kind of like baseball hitters 
Just we'll see how efficient I am here. Crazy Rich Asians comes in at 91. Oh, which means wow. that means we're out of the uh, out uh, of the. Are we? I'll, I'll say the score here in a second. 11 point differential, so we're yes. not going to a golden movie. And Josh wow. wins. Here is your 30 second moment of Zen. Let's go! Carolina Hurricanes hockey. That's who I'm devoted to 30 seconds to. I'm standing up in my chair here. Take care of business tonight. Don't let this. Actually, I'm kind of split here because I'm planning to go to the game on game five at game five Tuesday night. If they lose either tonight or Sunday, win the night and then lose Sunday. Yeah, that's what I want. Go Canes tonight, but not Sunday. So that way I can go to a game on Tuesday. That's I want you to very carefully and in a very specific way get the job done. That's right. That's right. Do not let me down. You know it's. It's weird. It's it's a conflicting feeling because I should want the Canes to win every single night, but I'd like to go see them on Tuesday. I'd imagine it's the same way if we're going to tie it back to no-hitters. Baseball fans feel if their team is getting no-hit and you're at the game and you want to see something special happen in the ninth, what do you root for? I don't know. Uh, always a no-hitter. Like, come on. Even I, if it's I, the Red Sox and it's your team and you're going to Fenway to watch them play? I mean, without major, major implications otherwise, it's one of 162, man. Why? How would you not want to see a no-hitter? What if the game was close? A walk-off bomb to break up a no-hitter is equally as good, if not better. So, yeah, I mean, it, there, there are circumstances in which you could, you could get away with not rooting for it, but I... I don't know, man. I probably would want to see the no-no. You guys want to do a uh, comparing real quick? I got two. Oh, he's if got some comparisons. Yeah. <laughs> We're wow. just damn packing this, this segment. Gosh, I, like I might need a cigarette. Robert's just packing this segment here. Uh, he's, well, that, he's flexing on people. They're super quick, and I won't uh, isolate you two. You can work together if you'd like to. But, uh, I like it. Compare Jesus to Tim Tebow. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to stay away from getting angry emails this weekend. Eh. Well, I'm trying to. I'm in my mind. I'm comparing how many, how many like offshoot chances each got at various things (laughs) (laughs) for nothing other than who they are. No, there's some wordplay here that Robert knows. What is it? Uh, They both came back at 33. I like these a lot more when I can just have like two good That's ones. Great. Every once in That's great. That's really great. Uh, one more for you guys. Uh, what does uh, what's Nashville have in common with the Titanic? Nashville and the Titanic. Oh, this is this is the fan. The fan took your thing. They took your stick and made a poster out of it. I Rob. know. I was very upset about it. What happened? Uh. Titanic and the Nashville Predators. They both look really good until they hit the ice. (laughs) There you go. Zing. Darren Vaught. I will George Costanza my way out of here now. Darren Vaught, what a segment. Have a great weekend, my friend. Great. You guys do the same. Hey, next week when we do this, uh, I will be in Charlotte at the ACC baseball tournament. So I'm going to try and use that to, to like, wedge – some college baseball talk in i'm all about it it might not we'll talk some college baseball next week it's a deal it's a date thanks so much
You guys got it. There he goes. That's Darren Vaught, USA Baseball, going to be doing some work at the ACC Baseball Tournament, it seems like, in Charlotte last week. I think the – or next week. The attendance going to be 50% capacity at uh, the baseball championships, I think, last I saw. Exciting stuff, man. Things are opening up. People got the popcorn. Let's give them a show. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. We'll keep it simple in a sec. I love this from 670 to score in Chicago. Daz Newsom, the former Tar Heel receiver, drafted by the Chicago Bears. He was stunned and incredibly bummed out that there wasn't a Waffle House in the Chicago area. He felt that Waffle Houses were literally everywhere across the country. Not true. Waffle House heard about this, though. They stepped up and sent him some of their waffle mix and syrup and apparently he is over the moon happy about it. Is there any restaurant that you would feel that type of way about that's a chain? I don't know. I really like Jimmy John's pickles, but I think that's about it. And I wouldn't really go crazy over them either. So you'd be requesting the pickles from Jimmy John? Yeah, probably. Okay. That makes some sense. I, I remember, I don't know if I've told you this story before. But when I was in Texas, you probably know all my stories. We're like an old married couple that way. I I sold books door-to-door in Texas. That's what I did between my freshman year in college and my sophomore year. That's how I paid tuition. I made about eighteen grand during that summer. My brother uh, convinced me to do so. He made a lot more than I did. Now, there were some expenses I had to pay with that eighteen grand during that summer as well. But it helped me pay for my tuition at East Carolina it was one of the craziest things I've ever done. And it was educational books I would sell door to door. Every morning, Robert, I would wake up at 5.59, take a 15 to 30 second freezing cold shower. The warm showers come right before you go to bed. And then we'd do push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, and we'd be out the door by the time NWA's Boys in the Hood ends. That's, That's the rule here. Less than four or five minutes, and you're out the door, and we go straight to a Waffle House where we'd figure out what our plan for the day was, what areas we were going to hit, what doors we were going to knock on. We're 19, 20 years old listening to Mac Miller or whatever, and we'd be knocking on doors, but before we do so, we'd hang out at this Waffle House, and we had this ritual we'd do every day, Robert, where we'd come up with a secret handshake. Now, the secret handshake... Over this summer that we did this, we'd add one thing to it each and every day, and then it would be reinforced over and over again. And by the end of the summer, you have a handshake that's two and a half minutes long. It got to the point the handshake was so ridiculous that people at the Waffle House who knew our order when we walked in immediately because we get the same thing every day, they would take a break to see us do this stupid handshake that we had for like two and a half, three minutes. It's a good time at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning to take a smoke break. But I wasn't the guy that ever went to Waffle House late, late night. Like I'm talking 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the morning. But Waffle House in Texas, 
uh, 6 30, 7 o'clock in the morning when I sold books door to door. An important formative place for yours truly. And it sounds like Daz Newsom has a, a connection like that as well. Maybe not the same type of deal, but an emotional connection to the Waffle House. Let's keep it simple. Five words or less. It's simple, man. That's all Josh gets to tell you where your favorite teams are at. It's as marvelous and as simple as that. Let's keep it simple. Crazy week. A lot of things happen. So this week in Keep It Simple, Robert, just throw at me things that are going on in sports, things that have happened in sports, and I'll sum it up in five words or less. Uh, Phil Mickelson leaving or leading after two rounds. Yeah, PGA Championship. He is at five under par. Nobody's going low this weekend at Kiowa Island in South Carolina. Five words for that, though. Rooting interest for the weekend. Who dislikes Phil Mickelson? Who? I don't know anybody that dislikes Phil. We're all rooting for Phil. So... That's the guy we're going to get behind. I still don't think he's going to win. But the fact that he's leading after two rounds, a couple of weeks after he was leading after one round at the Wells Fargo in Charlotte, Quail Hollow, that's a pretty neat story. So rooting interest for the weekend, the five words I'm going with there. Uh, How about the Canes being up 2-0? I feel a lot better about the Canes up after two games than I do Phil Mickelson being up after two rounds. That's a lot more than five words, so I'll go with this. Kick them while they're down. You have an opportunity here, Carolina, to close things out this weekend, take care of business, or just take care of business tonight because this Preds team's not coming back from three games to nothing down. Not this Preds team. So take the life out of them. Sweep the leg. Use whatever synonym you like here take care of business tonight. It's going to be tough without Slavin in the lineup and you're on the road in Smashville, but Kane's up 2 to nothing. Kick them while they're down. Uh, how about the Hornets' loss to the Pacers in the playing game? They were down and they got kicked. You know, this is what I say. This is what I have to say about that game and to Hornets fans. It's okay to feel disappointed. What have you made of the reaction to this where people are getting mad at me who are Hornets fans saying, well, Josh, this season wasn't really about winning, being disappointed. This is definitely a success. You lost six in a row to close the year. You're seven games under 500. You got blasted and you had a poor effort against Indiana. We get it. You're banged up. So is everybody else. Seven consecutive games to close the year. I'm not saying the season's a failure. That would be an overreaction and it would be stupid. But to call it a success, I think, cheapens what actual success looks like. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here, Bugatu style. Well, keep taking them and tell me about uh, the Warriors-Grizzlies elimination game. Well, that's tonight, 9 (sighs) o'clock. It's house money for Steph. Will you view this Warriors season any differently if Steph Curry and the Warriors lost tonight? No, not really. That's what I'm saying. You went toe-to-toe with the Lakers in the best game we saw this year. Steph won the scoring title. You finished above 500 when nobody thought you would in the Western Conference. I don't think it really even matters if they win or lose tonight. I got a gut feeling that Memphis is going to win it. So it's house money for Steph. How about the two no-hitters this week? 
That's kind of crazy. Enjoy history as it happens. Baseball fans, why are baseball fans so miserable? Where everybody, everything has to be, this is bad. This is terrible for baseball. The no-hitters are good. I mean, do you know what I would hate? If nobody is hitting and we don't have any amazing feats when it comes to pitching. This has been a great season for Major League Baseball. You got an exciting teams. Shohei Itani, look at the stuff he's doing with the Angels. Gosh, it's making Darren stay up late every night watching baseball rather than staying up late listening to Jimmy Eat World. I could get behind that. Nobody, I have a theory on this. I don't think anybody wants the history from, air quote, their era to be diminished in any type of way. That's why. That's what I think this is about, where if one more no-hitter is thrown the rest of the season, they will tie the big league record for the most no-hitters in a single season. We're only in May. The record's seven. We've seen six, including two this week, a couple on back-to-back nights. If they break that record, there are some who are going to cheapen it and say, oh, well, it's because of the baseball and, you know, analytics. It's not good. It reminds me of the Michael Jordan-LeBron debate to a degree. There are some who will not welcome LeBron being the best player of all time simply because, oh, it's not, he didn't play in this era. For some people, Michael was their guy. And younger people didn't get a chance to watch Michael, so LeBron is their guy. Some people just don't want to see the history from their era diminished, and that might be some of what's at play with this no-hitter discussion. Uh, wrap it up with this Larusa White Sox stuff. Five words on that. Oof. Players should be the priority. There. Players should be the priority. Tony Larusa. He made a mistake by airing out grievances publicly. Grievances that weren't against the opposition to the White Sox, but against his own players, how he felt about Mercedes swinging on that 3-0 pitch and a 10-run game. I get that you were asked a question and you're this crotchety legend old man who can answer any question honestly, you feel like. It was a tactical mistake to do so in a public way rather than just addressing it with Mercedes in the locker room and not letting us all in on it. And then the next day when somebody throws at Mercedes, you're saying you have no issue with what the Twins did and how they handled that? It just reeks of you being out of touch and secondly, not taking up for your player. I understand if you don't like Mercedes jacking one out of the park. That's a different discussion then airing your grievances out publicly as the manager and on top of that, not backing your player. I I compared it to parenting earlier this week. I don't think it's a parent's job to tell their children who to be and how to develop. It's their job to support their children no matter what. Tony LaRusso, as the manager of the White Sox, you've got to support your players no matter what. And I don't think he did that this week. And that's been Keep It Simple. Robert, cue the dance break. You know what? What party person, like a generic typecasted person at a bar, 
do you think I should do this next read like the person that you see at every bar or at clubs that play the dance music? Uh, the girl that parties like she's still in college, even though she's 32. Oh, that's great. I know exactly what you're talking about. Hey. If Deshaun Watson ever became available, would the Carolina Panthers show any interest? Gosh. These girls, what are they wearing? Like, are those Uggs? Going along with that skirt, look at how cold it is tonight. What the hell is this? The Drive. This is kind of a great thing, and I'll tell you why. Get caught up with all things sports. That's awesome! Well, that's not totally true. He talks about The Bachelorette, too. Yes! The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Our next guest is being presented to us by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's the notorious worldwide Wob himself, Rob Perez, joining us on the drive. Rob, before we get to the NBA, do I have it right that you graduated from North Carolina right after the Tar Heels cut down Nets in 09? Uh, I was there for my senior my senior year is when the 2009 team won in which uh, we didn't lose a single game, or we didn't win a single game by less than double digits in the NCAA tournament. That team was flawless in every way. And uh, to be a senior that lived right on the corner of like Columbia and Franklin practically, so uh, a stone's throw away from being the first first out there when the bonfire started going, uh, a memory I'll surely never forget. I've got to ask about that. What do you remember about the night that Hansborough and company crushed the Spartans? Uh, I just, I, I don't remember a whole lot of it because I did have a couple bush lights in the system. Not going to lie. Maybe some natty ices there mixed in as well, but it was, uh, it was one of those games in which you kind of knew it was over from tip off. And, uh, for me personally, as a fan of all my teams, uh, I'm, I'm a little weird in the way that the nothing will ever be as good as the first one. And maybe that's because I usually traditionally root for a lot of bad teams and Carolina is my only good one. And in 2005, when they beat Illinois, I don't know if anything will ever top that for me personally, but being there as a senior uh, of legal drinking age as well, um, you know, all, checked all the boxes there, being amongst uh, hundreds, thousands of people, uh, just it was a blur, man. It was a blur. I'm glad I survived it because I was climbing telephone poles and doing things that any 21-year-old probably shouldn't be doing but thinks they're invincible. And uh, that's that's why you sign up to go to Carolina sometimes to experience the celebration after beating Duke and uh, after winning a title. If you haven't, and I got to do it in person. If you haven't found uh, uh, Rob already on Twitter at Worldwide Wob, also on Twitch as well, presented to us by FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, do you share my concerns that I have with the Los Angeles Lakers in terms of their title hopes? When you look at usually teams that are title contenders, don't look as exhausted as the Lakers did the other night against Golden State. The injuries are obviously a given as well with LeBron's ankles. So I'll just put it to you. How concerned are you about this team's hopes to repeat? I would say minimally concerned. And I I say that for a couple reasons, because I think it was more just the team being LeBron and Anthony Davis being disengaged in the first half of that game against Golden State. They were settling a lot for jumpers. Uh, they have a huge advantage of physicality, athleticism, wingspan, talent. I mean, we're talking about two of the top five players in the NBA here, 
and they really didn't put their print on that game in the first half, but they just have the luxury of being LeBron James and Anthony Davis that when they snap their fingers, it's very similar to Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet, and the game just really just kind of dissolves. The other team turns into dust. Now, I, I, I hear you when you say that this team looks tired, and I'll, I will agree they look tired only because LeBron had been out for an extended period of time, and no matter how much you practice or what you try and simulate, in in uh, off off the game atmosphere, there's nothing like actually playing against another team, and especially during the playoffs, it is a different sport than the regular season. So it's more so just them getting their wind back. I think the chemistry is there, but getting their wind back will be a challenge. Now they do have three full days off between when they beat the Warriors and when they have to play the Phoenix Suns, which is a pretty significant period of time considering the consolidated NBA schedule this year with so many back-to-backs, that should get the Lakers right, at least in my mind, which is why it was essential for them to win that game so they get the time off. I remember we were catching up with James Borrego, who was telling us that LaMelo Ball, among guys he's seen in the league, is a unique talent. He's a one and one People say unique sometimes when they mean rare. Unique means one. Rare just means a few. Pet peeve of mine when people say that. But when you look at LaMelo Ball, who seems to be the favorite to win the Rookie of the Year. What could you see LaMelo developing into? Man, we're talking about comparisons already, huh? So with, with LaMelo, he checks a lot of boxes in terms of the things that he can do. Uh, he, can, he can pull up from three if you need him to. If you need him to score, he can do it. Uh, t- to get his teammates open, he can do it. To run the offense, he can do it. To be a floor general that can manage a game situation. A lot of that is not so much like calling the right play. It's, it's not turning the ball over, and it's putting your teammates in a place to succeed. And we saw flashes of it. Granted, Charlotte finishes 10th in the Eastern Conference, which is where they have been for pretty much the past decade, it's felt like. So on paper, you don't see a whole lot that's changed. But the potential that he has in terms of being a franchise cornerstone, and he is going to make Miles Bridges uh, look like Shaquille O'Neal as long as they're together, right? It's gonna be, it's gonna feel like a very, very uh, uh, budgeted version of Kobe and Shaq in a way that that uh, Lamelo they just bring the best out in each other. And uh, for the Charlotte Hornets to stumble upon a talent like this, because who knows what Lamelo's ceiling is? This was just his first year, first year. I understand he played professionally abroad, but in the NBA to show this level of talent and make an impact on the game so immediately doing things that a lot of other players can't do, passing the ball in the full court or in transition. There's a special kind of flair to his game. So the star power is always going to be there. And the big question will be when he hits that rookie sophomore wall, when he starts popping up on everybody's scouting report, uh, how is he able to pivot his business model so that he can continue to grow and be successful? Because he won't be the first great rookie, and he certainly won't be the last. It's so interesting. I was just reminded, him contributing immediately. It's crazy when you consider that he didn't get summer league. He didn't have the ability to get some reps in the G League before going up. He was thrown immediately into the fire. Uh, And he performed despite the fact he was dealing with injury and a condensed schedule and all of that. My question, though, is we saw Gordon Hayward sign with Charlotte this past offseason. Now, if you're an organization like Charlotte, you probably have to overpay a little bit to get free agents to come to play for the Hornets. Is LaMelo, though, the type of player guys in the league, maybe not top flight free agents, will look at and say, I want to play with. But take a J.J. Redick, for example. He decides he wants to play with Zion after he's drafted in New Orleans. 
is Charlotte going to be a place where guys say, yeah, LaMelo, a pass-first point guard with that type of skill set, I, I might want to be a part of that. I, I could totally see it, and I think he is one of very few players within that have been drafted into the NBA in the past couple of seasons. Let's just call it the, the past three drafts. Uh, Zion is one of them because we've heard players say that this is a generational talent and he makes me better, and that always seems to be the underlying theme in common there is do, do they make me better as well? Are they great players who are just great for themselves and they put up massive stat lines and the rest of the team kind of falls into line? Or are they a player in which uh, could help me get paid down, down the line? And uh, I want to be a part of this because I feel like we're building towards something special. And I think LaMelo has that capability uh, just because of, again, his ability to pass the ball and put his teammates in situations to succeed. Of course, he's going to have an ego because, I mean, he had his own reality television show at the age of, what, 13, 14 years old? You can't blame the kid for thinking he's the best player on the court, but everyone in the NBA thinks they're the best player on their court because you don't get to the NBA unless you were Mr. Basketball of your state or the Gatorade High School Player of the Year. And I, I understand that there has to be a, a check in, checks and balances on egos, especially with a player this young. But what we saw from him in that first season, he's playing with a lot of veterans that are making a lot more money than he is, and they sure looked happy to be his teammate. Rob, it's great to have you on the show back on in the state of North Carolina. I've admired your work from afar on Twitter at Worldwide Wob, also on Twitch as well. Hope we can do it again sometime soon. Enjoy the start of the playoffs. Appreciate you all having me. Thank you. You got it. That is Rob Perez joining us on WSJS Sports. We've got weekly positivity to do in about 10 to 15 minutes. Robert, the Carolina Hurricanes looking to close things out this weekend. A lot of work for them to do, though. Two games to nothing lead. Game three is tonight at 7 o'clock. Game four is Sunday, so the next time we chat, the Canes could be finished with the Predators in the first round. But this is, I think, tonight Nashville's last hope. They're down 2 nothing in the series. I think the series is practically over right now when Carolina's won it. One against Nashville, eight of the ten regular season meetings, and the only two that Nashville won practically meaningless games at the end of the regular season. But uh, you're not going to come back from three games to nothing down. It's only happened... You can count maybe on one hand since 1940 how many times that happened. Not with this type of talent gap. They're down 2 nothing. If they want to have any hope of forging a comeback, it has to start tonight. It's also their best shot to win. Jacob Slavin, according to Michael Smith, Kane's uh, reporter, no Jacob Slavin tonight. And Nashville is at home. In the regular season, Nashville had an exactly 500 record on the road. 500 record on the road. At home, they're eight games over 500, including those two wins they had against the Hurricanes at the end of the regular season. So this is Nashville's last good hope. Part of me kind of hopes Nashville grabs one of the two this weekend just because I'm making some plans to potentially go to the game on Tuesday night. So win-win for yours truly, unless the next time we speak, this series is tied at two games apiece. But I don't think that's going to happen. I still believe Deshaun Watson's going to end up getting traded. With the latest update that we have here, his legal problems, they're still very important. I'm not minimizing them at all. But if he does get traded, 
if Deshaun's no longer a Texan by the time the regular season rolls around, which team will he be playing for? I do think there's one team, maybe two, that makes all too much sense, and I'll tell you who they are next on The Drive. 